you would please turn with me to Acts chapter 19 as we continue our study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 19, we'll be looking at verses 11 through 20 today. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for His help with the text. Lord Jesus, as we come to Your Word, we pray that You would use it to convict us of our sin. Our sins are many particularly our sins, that we would somehow see ourselves as on the throne, that we would see ourselves as the ones who are powerful, the ones who are able to do anything we please, the ones who would rewrite your word. And so, Lord, we pray that you would convict us of those sins that are in our hearts, that we might grow closer to you, that we might hear your word and grow from it, be made wise from it. Teach us your ways, Lord Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So I read through this text. It made me think of one of my favorite movies as a kid, and it was called The Last Dragon. I don't know if you've heard of The Last Dragon. It was about a kid named Leroy Green. His uh, nickname was Bruce Leroy. Uh, because he idolized Bruce Lee, and I, I think maybe his friends gave him the, that was kind of a insulting nickname, but he was proud of it nonetheless. It's a martial arts movie from the 80s, so it has that sort of thing to it. It has a, an enemy named Shonuff, um, which totally makes sense if you watch the movie, and there's a bunch of kids at the end, like little kids, fighting professional wrestlers. Pretty good stuff. Um, it also features this mythical martial arts power known as the glow, which is supposedly makes practitioners of it super powerful. I strongly encourage you to watch this one. It's very good. Uh, I grew up, I mean, probably watched it for the first time when I was maybe four. So just very good movie. There are lots of so-called martial artists out there. Some claim to have all sorts of secret powers, uh, particularly some that I'm interested in are like the no-touch fighting, where they kind of push their opponents around with their hands, like they're using some sort of force or something to manipulate their opponents. YouTube, vid- YouTube videos are, of course, full of that sort of thing. There are a few that feature actually what happens when these sorts of practitioners, fakers, come up against real martial artists. Those are really interesting. Apparently there is no such thing as this force and getting hit in the face actually hurts. Pretending to know something that isn't the, isn't the same thing as actually knowing something. Sometimes we can even fool ourselves into thinking that something is that's very fake is actually very real. In our text today, we'll have an example of this. In many ways, it's just like one of those 80 martial, 80s martial arts movies right here in the book of Acts. You have one individual who takes on many and completely demolishes them. In this passage, the one that takes them all on is the real deal. Not a good thing, but he is the real deal nonetheless. The, the many there that come against him are pretending, and it ends with some pretty funny consequences. This is one of those passages that... Me and my friends loved to read and snicker at as we were younger. Maybe even as long ago as like two weeks ago, we would laugh about it. You know, Until, of course, I realized that many times 
I am the one that is pretending just like these men in this text, then it becomes a little bit more real. I think we'll see from this text today this juxtaposition of real power versus false power. We'll see the power of God on display. We'll see the power of man also on display. We'll see the power to save, the real power to save. And then we'll see also the power to destroy. We'll see the glory of God and its end and the glory of man and its end as well. We'll see how many times we are the ones pretending and how we need to orient ourselves back to the truth. As we look at this passage, we'll consider two main ideas from it then. The false power of man and the real power of God. And so with that, stand with me as we read from God's Word, Acts chapter 19, starting at verse 11, reading through 20. Acts chapter 19. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. And some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them all in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So quickly, just a review on what's been going on and then also just a little... Aside concerning some of the um, some of the themes here in our text, so remember Paul left Corinth and spent uh, some short time the, uh, in Ephesus before he left. But then he returned back to Jerusalem to fulfill his uh, Nazarite vow. Remember he he shaved his head. Meanwhile, Priscilla and Aquila, his partners in ministry, continued there in Ephesus. Uh, a man by the name of Apollos became prominent and taught there in Ephesus and then himself moving to Corinth and teaching. Now Paul is returning to Ephesus and he was he was there doing ministry in the synagogue. Last time I was here we talked about that. Our passage today talks about Paul doing miracles. We get some of the items like magic and demons thrown in there as well. Miracle healings and demons and sorcery all in one text. Pretty fascinating stuff. And I think all of it can be summed up to say that there is a power beyond mere man to deal with. But instead of the spiritual, or instead of the spiritual powers of this world, you have also on display 
the powers of God. There are only really those two. First and foremost, there is a creator, God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and all things. Second, there is a power that is created by God that fell from grace and is now at war with its creator. Satan, who represents that power, and his demons are the other faction at war with the Lord. But note, as we look at this here, we have to understand one thing. I think it's important for us to go ahead and lay this down at the beginning. We're not talking about two equal and opposite powers vying for uh, power and this struggle in the universe. God on the good side, Satan on the bad side, and there's this constant ebb and flow in the battle. We have one all-powerful creator and everything else, including the evil of this world, is created. The men, the women, the demons, the magic they claim to use, all things that were put there for the purposes of God. I think it's important to have that orientation before we start today because many times when we start thinking about these things, people want to make the battle again between God on one hand, Satan on the other, in which we get to be the deciding factor. You've probably seen that on a church sign somewhere, right? That your vote is the one that counts. That's just silly. We are insignificant pawns in this battle. And the battle has already been won. Already over. We are merely bystanders, yet active bystanders, called to be active in our faith, called to do the work of the Lord. But ultimately, we get to take joy in the spoils of the victor, Jesus Christ. And those who don't believe... Those who are for the other side, what are they doing then? They're cheering for an enemy that's already been defeated. And they continue to stand by in the hopes that their champion, Satan, will win, even though the score is infinity to zero and will not change. And so that brings me to the first point, the power of man. Look with me at verses 11 and 12. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So that even handkerchiefs and or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. So Paul's doing some pretty extraordinary things, or some unusual things, your text might say, but only as the vessel of God's power working in him. Again, we don't have Paul doing some sort of things outside of his of the power of God working in him. The sick were healed just by touching his clothes. This has nothing to do with Paul's dirty clothes. This has to do with the power of God. And then we get this bit about the evil spirits also coming out of them just by handling these clothes that Paul had. The idea of evil spirits dwelling in people then being driven out is not a new idea in Scripture at all. Todd read from a text this morning. We're going to look at a different one. Jesus did this sort of thing several times in his ministry. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. And we'll look at one such text. And I think it's helpful for us to see how our Lord Jesus handles these evil spirits. Matthew chapter 8, starting at verse 28. And when he came to the other side... 
to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. Pretty interesting text, right? What do we need to draw out from here? We could sit here for a while and talk about things, but we're just going to draw a few things out that are important. Definite truths that went on. There were demon-possessed men, and they, these men, along with the demons that possessed them, kept everyone out of the area. No one was allowed to pass, almost like the troll under the bridge. No one could pass. And then they saw Jesus. These demons saw Jesus. Before Jesus even says a word to them, they call out to Him. What have you to do with us, Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before our time? Notice, when they see Jesus, another man who's passing through, they completely change their tune. They're no longer saying, you cannot pass. They're saying, please don't hurt us. They were afraid because they were face to face with their Creator. Not a mere man but the God-man, Jesus Christ. They begged for mercy rather than receive what they were owed. What were they owed? Eternal judgment and torment. Yes, demons will one day be punished as well. They don't live in hell, which is what is commonly thought of as demons. They, they live down there and they're having some sort of party waiting for the souls of men to join them. That's not at all what's happening. They live right here on earth and they are at war with their Creator Even though they're losing, they're still at war with Him. And they know that one day, they will be tormented for all times. And they're saying, please, don't do that yet. They even know that, they even know it's happening. They even know that their judgment is imminent. Please don't do that to us yet. And Jesus commands them. What does He say to them? One word. Go. And they do. Without hesitation. There's no disobedience. There's no rebellion. They immediately do what they're told to do because these commands were not a suggestion. They were a directive from the one who causes anything and everything to happen. Jesus had authority over the demons that the people in that area did not and could not have. The demons acknowledged Jesus as the Son of God, even though many of the Jewish leaderships refused to. They also knew that he alone had the power to control them. These are important truths concerning demons looking face to face with their creator. Let's take those back to Acts chapter 19 then. Look with me at verses 13 and 14 of Acts 19. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. 
So it's these sons of this high priest attempted to drive out demons just like Paul was doing. We read that they were itinerant exorcists. That's an interesting job title. Essentially, these men sort of worked a circuit. They kind of worked the region going around exercising demons, um, basically doing this for money. They would call upon some sort of fake power. They would do some sort of magic trying to gain money and fame in order to do this. And they're sons of a priest, which should cause us to raise our eyebrows at least. It reminds me of the sons of Eli from 1 Samuel. We don't know anything about this Sceva other than he raised seven trash sons. That's about all we know. They saw that Paul was doing this and they attempted to capitalize on this same thing, right? Well, look, that happened. So, and his clothes were doing this. So, and he did this in the name of Jesus. So maybe Jesus is the magic word, right? And if we just say that, then we can do what he's doing and we can get all this fame and all this fortune as well. They even, again, they did it in the name of Jesus, which brings us a new understanding of the meaning of the third commandment, or at least it should, to not take the Lord's name in vain, which is exactly what they were doing. Notice what happens, verse 15 and 16. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. The men were overpowered and mastered. They were physically outmatched, is what that word overpowered means. They were physically thrown down, all seven of them versus one person. And they were made subjects, which is what this word mastered means. They were literally lorded over by this demon. They sought to make the demon their subject, and yet they were the ones who were made subject. In their attempt to exercise authority over the demon, the demon exercised authority over them through a man. One man took out seven because those seven were pretenders. So a few things on demons again. There are spirits who are fallen angels, servants of Satan, doers of evil. They aren't the only doers of evil, mind you. Neither is Satan. They don't cause us to do evil. We do that pretty well on our own without any help. But they do evil. They are evil workers. They are at work in the world. They're not in hell pushing buttons. They're here now doing the work of evil. And their sole purpose in life is to disrupt the glory of God. To gain glory for themselves. To steal God's glory so that they can be praised as false gods and the true God can be cast down. Again, they do this chiefly by working against the people of God who, according to Scripture, are the most important people in the world. We don't just say that arrogantly as the church. Why are we the most important people? Why do the the demons know that? Because God is using His people to bring about His redemptive plan. Remember what He said way back in Genesis. Through Abraham, who would be blessed? The whole world. 
He's using his people to do that. So, and God gains glory when his will goes forth. And he uses us, his church, to accomplish his redemptive purposes. Demons represent obstacles in the way. And not obstacles like, I'll just go around that, as you see from this text, but obstacles that can completely destroy you. Demons long for men and women who will rally to their cause by seeking out their own glory as well. We ultimately do this by stealing glory from God. Just like the sons of Sceva attempting to gain glory for ourselves rather than give it to God. But notice, the demon has no interest in sharing glory with these men. They're not on the same team by any means. The demon quickly disposed of those posers and gained glory for himself. And if you think that this isn't prevalent today, you should think again. Not that demon possession and exorcism are common, but using the Lord's name to gain your own fame and fortune is very common. Calling upon spiritual forces we don't understand is also very common. Underestimating the power of the enemy is very common in the church. What is the answer to these? Jesus, of course. Why would we use the name of Jesus for personal gain? Because remember, again, all the way back in Genesis, back in the garden, we missed out, right? Ever since then, we feel like we've been robbed of something that was never ours to begin with. Why did Eve eat the fruit? Because she saw that it was good, that it was powerful to make one wise. Her and Adam ate the fruit because they wanted God's throne. And ever since then, we've been doing the same thing. Like the demons, we feel like we are owed something that we can't possibly comprehend. But we feel like it's ours anyway. Therefore, we battle against the one who deserves all glory, honor, and praise. Some do this by calling upon spiritual forces. This is very common in a movement called the Word of Faith, wherein they name things and they claim those things all in the name of Jesus Christ but all for personal gain they claim to heal and drive out demons but only so they can fill auditoriums as they pass the KFC buckets around to pet collect money so they can buy another luxury jet they aren't seeking the glory of God they're seeking their own glory they're not seeking God's glory they're stealing from it They aren't on the side of the Son of God, but instead on the side of the one who irrationally opposes him, like the fake martial artist versus Bruce Lee, a trained master. It's just dumb. Another thing, we must be careful that we don't underestimate the enemy at all. Just read this verse, you read verse 16 again, if you really want to underestimate the enemies of God. We have no power in and of ourselves, to drive out any demons. They won't listen to us. We have no power to heal the sick. Only Jesus does. Paul had no power on his own. Only the work that Jesus was doing through him. The demon knew Paul. He said, yeah, Paul I recognize, but he knew him as one who gave glory to God, as one who was powerful through the works of Jesus Christ. When it comes to the forces of evil, we have tools available for us in our battle against them. 
all of those tools, which we'll look at in a minute, call upon God to stand in our place because we are not the hero. We cannot do this sort of battle on our own. We have the Word of God, of course, which speaks truth into the lies of the enemy. We have prayer which calls upon the God whom they fear. We have the community of saints as we bear one another's burdens and trials. Again, we have no power, but we rest upon the one who does, our Lord Jesus Christ. That brings us to the real power of God. Look with me at verses 17 through 20. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus. I can imagine this sort of story would become known. Both Jews and Greeks and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So notice what happens as a result of this incident. Fear swept through those other people who were pretenders in Ephesus. And even fear swept through everyone as they heard this story. Seven guys getting taken out by one because this demon... And they begin to repent in droves, tossing their spell books on the fire as a true sign of repentance, of leaving that life behind. How do we know it's a true sign of this? Well, the total of that was 50,000 pieces of silver. Not an, not an easily recoverable sum. It was around 50,000 days wages. That's a lot of money if you start to do some math. There was confession. There was repentance. And this upon these things the Lord builds His church. Verse 20 again. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. A lot of these passages in Acts end with this same phrase. The Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That word prevail is the same word that's used in verse 16. The evil spirit prevailed upon the men that were there. But which power, at the end of this passage, is still doing work, is still prevailing, is still going forward? It's the power of the Lord, not the power of evil. God, because He regularly does things this way, used the power of that demon against itself. He used the power of that demon to cause fear to sweep through the city and in that fear, they turned to the only one who can cast out fear, Jesus Christ. Though the demon won a single encounter against some jobbers, the word of the Lord prevailed in Ephesus. The city began to be changed by the gospel. And notice, I didn't mention this, but I think it's important. What happened to these men as a result of the demon? They fled out of the house naked, and they were wounded. They were stripped of their clothing. Is this the first time that people that came in contact with a demon realized that they were naked? Remember Genesis 3. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. Remember the garden. What did this demon bring with it? Shame. Guilt. 
power of sin in the whole world, death of man and all of his progeny, as we read from the confession or the catechism this morning. What did the name of Jesus Christ bring to the city of Ephesus? Confession, repentance, the making of all things new, redemption. Jesus Christ is making all things new, even now. Even in this story, these false practitioners of magic, he causes them to repent. They turn to him. They turn from their wicked ways. Jesus Christ is shown to be the true king of glory everlasting. Paul later gives the Ephesian church some tools in dealing with the powers of evil, which is obviously necessary. If you read the history of Ephesus, there was a lot of this sort of thing going on. So when he wrote his letter to the church in Ephesus, he dealt specifically with this. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 10. Sorry, there's not an Ephesians 10, but there is an Ephesians 6. Verse 10 through 18. I just saw the 10 and it just jumped right off the page. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. Finally be strong in the Lord and in, in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Specifically, again, directing them to this idea. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand it in the evil, or in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Notice what Paul does for them. Notice the physical tools that he gives them that he could make them look like their own personal hero. Nothing. At all. What tools does he give them? The only tools that he gives them points to the power of the giver of those tools. The belt of truth. Whose truth? God's truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Whose righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Where does that peace come from? That peace that passes all understanding comes from Jesus Christ. The shield of faith. Where do we get faith? It's a gift of God so that no man can boast. The helmet of salvation that He bought for me. And gave to me, even while I was yet his enemy, he saved me. The sword of the Spirit. Not my words, but the word of God. Why do we have these things? To stand against the schemes of the devil. We do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but with evil and darkness. And the battle 
that we, the battle that we have, what do we need to fight evil and darkness with? Goodness and light. Where do we get these things? Again, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who alone is good and who is the light of the world. That is where we have the tools to fight against the evil of this world. In conclusion, we worship a God who holds all power in his hands, who knows the ends and the means, and for his own glory has chosen that his that this struggle against evil will persist until he returns. It would be nice and simple if it would just all go away, but for whatever reason, that is not the Lord's will for us as his people. So until then, what do we do? We rest upon him to fight the battle. Brothers and sisters, let us rest upon the truth that the battle is already won and that in Jesus Christ we share in that victory. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we come to you as people who share in your victory, but we also come to you as people who still act as if we are your enemies. So Lord, we pray that you would forgive us that you would draw us closer and closer to you, that we would depend upon you and you alone. We are unable to even take breath without your mercy upon us, much less fight the evil of this world. And so, Lord, we call upon your name to do so. Lord, help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.